Hi, I'm Scott, and welcome to the first episode of the first series of Child in Time, a podcast about growing up in the 1960s. Maybe, like me, you were there, or you just might be interested in that crazy old decade. There'll be some history and personal memories about growing up in the suburbs of a major Australian city. Now, I'm not going to name the city, but I will give you a cryptic clue as to which city it was. It was the one with the bridge in the opera house. Another clue next week. Now, I've assembled a crack team of researchers, audio technicians, and others to bring you this podcast. Yeah. No, not really. I'm lying. It's just me, a one-man, one-microphone show. Okay. Let's jump right in and get to today's topic. And we're starting with a bang. Cracker night was, for many kids, the best night of the year. Better than Christmas, better than Easter, better than even your birthday. No other day had that unique Krakenite thrill factor. Oh, Krakenite. Some called it bonfire night. Most kids called it Krakenite. We always did. In the UK and in New Zealand, their equivalent was Guy Fawkes night. And of course, in the USA, they have the 4th of July. Many communities and families would take weeks to build huge bonfires for the big night. But it was all about the fireworks, firecrackers and rockets, sparklers, throwdowns, flower pots, jumping jacks, Catherine wheels and Roman candles and lots of others that exploded, sparkled and flew into the air. Who doesn't like fireworks? We've all seen them on New Year's Eve and the like, and they're great. But as kids in the 60s, we were not just observing. We were the ones with the matches. And to make things even better, Cracker Night was designated a half day at school. We were home by lunchtime. Bonus. May 24th. Queen Victoria's birthday was the date when Empire Day was celebrated. It was renamed Commonwealth Day in 1959. I remember a teacher telling us that the word empire had, well, connotations. Commonwealth Day sounded much nicer. That's why we had Cracker Night. For us kids, though, they could have called it Tutankhamun's Bar Mitzvah for all we cared. It was all about the fireworks. Prior to the great day, schools distributed a fireworks safety pamphlet to everyone. But the truth was that many children did not heed the wise advice therein. In fact, a lot of kids ignored it all. Pretty much. Children at large often did not place fireworks in a bucket filled with sand and wait for a supervising adult to light the wick. Children did 
hold lit fireworks in their hands and wait until the last possible half second to throw them in the air. Children did not retreat to a safe distance to watch a firework do its stuff. Children walked around the streets with boxes of matches, with no adults around. Now, I'm going to be a little bit controversial here and say that for many of us, the actual cracker night was something of an anticlimax. Parents, or, well, usually the father, would take charge and light all the fireworks, and we had to sit at a safe distance like good little girls and boys. Mm. We weren't the active participants anymore, as we had been in the weeks leading up to Cracker Night, when children could mess around with firecrackers unsupervised and get up to various mischief. But the statue of limitations has passed. So I'll be recounting some of the things we used to get up to. When I was talking to some contemporaries around Cracker Night, researching all this, more than one made the comment that they were glad to get through many Cracker Nights as a child and into adulthood without suffering hearing loss, an eye injury, and still having, let's count them, Ten fingers. By way of disclaimer, much of our pre-crackernite activities as children involving fireworks were childish, silly, and dangerous. Do not try this at home. It is all banned now and against the law. This all happened 50 plus years ago. I will refer to firecrackers from now on as bungers, because that's what we always called them. There were four main types of bungers. Freely available, usually on sale at a shop near you, from about two or three weeks before cracker night itself. The smallest bungers were the Tom Thumbs. They were two rows of about 20 little bungers tied together with string. Each tom-thumb was about an inch long. It's about two and a half centimetres. Lighting a set of tom-thumbs would uh, produce several seconds of rapid-fire cap-like explosions. We like to unwrap the string holding the tom-thumbs together, and the result was a loose collection of a handful of little bungers. We devised a test to prove you were a man. We conducted this test despite the fact that uh, we're only children between the ages of, say, 8 and 12. You still had to prove you're a man. And the candidate was required to hold a tom-thumb bunger between thumb and forefinger, light the fuse, and let it explode. Most of the time, and we did this repeatedly, I'm afraid to say, the blast delivered a mere microsecond of pain. Occasionally, though, you got what we called a fizzer. There was no explosion, just a jet of hot ignited gunpowder that would issue from the bottom of the thing, burning the palm, leaving the bunger intact but spent. That would hurt big time. 
Mm. You know, I'm glad that letting a bunger blast off in your hand to affirm you're of the male gender never caught on. Imagine going to a government office of some kind and handing over your form to the nice lady behind the counter to be greeted with. Ah, yes, I see you have ticked the box claiming to be male. Now, if you don't mind holding this bunger for me until it explodes, thank you. I'll light it for you. No. Okay, so next size up with the double happy bungers, twice the size of Tom Thumbs. Double happies were regarded as mm, the transitional bunger to the iconic penny bunger. Penny bungers were the go-to bunger for most tasks. About three, four inches long. I have to convert everything to metric. Penny bungers were sold in long red crepe packets of 40, four lots of 10 stacked on top of each other. And then finally, we had the tuppenny bungers. They're at least twice the size of the penny bungers. They were the biggest, baddest bunger available. And when you tie three or four tuppenny bungers together, set to explode as one, you had quite a formidable explosive force at your disposal. In addition, there were skyrockets. Skyrockets came in various sizes, from the smallest with a large cardboard tube of gunpowder attached to something like a satay stick, right up to the largest skyrocket that sported a large hard plastic nose cone attached to a long stick. Many of these rockets would do fun things when they reached their apex after launch from a bottle or whatever. They might explode, send out a parachute or colourful stars. Now, sky rockets were fairly safe when used in the correct way. The same can't be said for the practice of setting up a makeshift launch pad at a 45 degree angle and firing these large rockets at a specific target some distance away. That was very dangerous. I was a bunger man, or boy, through and through, and never really got into rockets much. Perhaps because big sky rockets were expensive. 40 cents for 40 penny bungers was much more bang for your 40 cents. And in addition, besides fireworks of the exploding variety... There were dozens of gentler, colourful items. We called them pretties. Pretties were placed on the ground or in the recommended bucket of sand. There would be a colourful display of light and sparks for several seconds. And that was it. Lots of boys had very little interest in pretties. Except for one. The Roman candle. The Roman candle was a slim, tubular firework designed to be aimed skyward, away from people. When lit, and after some minor colourful flame, a delayed charge would ignite and a coloured ball or star would shoot out every few seconds 
until about six or so had been shot out. Naughty boys would hold the candle in their hand and then aim it at unsuspecting victims in order to hit them with a shooting star. Boys would chase each other around trying to tag each other with a flame ball or two. Was I ever involved in this practice? Oh, well, I'll take the fifth on that. Now, before I move on, a subtext of this podcast, if not apparent already, is that when we grew up, we had a degree of freedom as kids that is nothing like today. My mother would have made the Australian Olympic team had worrying been an Olympic sport. I think she would have been a medal contender too. But despite that, the rules for us were the same as for every other kid I knew. We just had to be home by dark or dinner time. So the streets, parks, bushland, anywhere really, were ours to explore. Now, it's not as if our parents didn't love us or care for us. Of course they did. It was just the way it was then. In a word, freedom. There can be no dispute that the area children are allowed to roam unsupervised has shrunk dramatically over the last few generations. This is said to be largely due to parents' fear of strangers having contact with children as the primary reason. And girls were generally kept on a closer leash than boys. Look... I know that this episode is very boy-centric, if there is such a word, but I grew up with just brothers, no, no sisters, and we did boy things. I'd love to hear how it was from the female side of a 60s childhood, and we will get to that. We are going to explore all this much more in the future. Now, someone can write a thesis on whether growing up then or now was better, the effect on how we turned out as adults or anything else. What we can say for sure was that it was different. Sure, we got into mischief sometimes, or frequently. Regarding fireworks, it is hard to imagine nowadays that the sale of large, powerful bungers was totally unrestricted. Us kids of, say, nine or ten, also had the obligatory box of matches at hand to set things alight when we needed to. In those carefree afternoons leading up to Cracker Night, a favourite activity was roaming the streets, armed with penny bungers, in search search of letterboxes to blow up. Yeah, blowing up letterboxes. The desired type of letterbox was made of tin, roughly the size of a small loaf of bread, and the box usually affixed to the top of a pole or a stake. A well-delivered tuppenny bunger or a penny bunger combo would blast the letterbox back to the original flat sheet of tin from which it had been fashioned. After the explosion... You only had a few precious seconds to admire your handiwork before the angry homeowner would come running after you and you'd have to run for your life. 
one kid in our group, let's call him Ron, and there was no one called Ron in my year, inexplicably decided to blow up his own family letterbox. Why? Who knows? We watched, fascinated, as he duly inserted the bunger, blew up his own box. We ran away to the sound of Ron's furious mother dragging Ron inside for some punishment. Hmm. See, Trevor, I kept my word and I didn't mention you by name. I used the name Ron instead. Nor did I say that you lived in High Street or... Oh, sorry. In in case you're wondering, the letterbox at our place was part of a brick wall and thus impervious to attack and destruction from without. Okay. With my previous disclaimer regarding safety and illegality in mind, we come to the marble gun also known as a bunger gun or pipe gun. We called it a marble gun. A two-foot length pipe was the barrel. A penny bunger and a marble completed it. A friend's older brother had a marble gun set up on a blick plinth in his backyard and he would aim the gun at sheets of corrugated iron to test on how many sheets the marble would pierce the tin, bullet-like. Six sheets was the record, I think. We had our own marble gun in my backyard, hiding in plain sight. We had a swing suspended from a branch of a large tree. The seat was a length of pipe with the rope looped around the middle of the pipe. So to use the swing, you had to sit astride the rope. We decided to fire the gun, a pipe, at the tree trunk. The only problem was that the rope and pipe, which was now the gun, was free to move in the breeze. We faced the gun towards the tree trunk and lit the fuse and stepped back to watch. Unfortunately, a little breath of wind spun the gun around to be facing us. We died for our lives to the ground a second before the gun fired over our heads. We never used the gun again. As I said earlier, Krakenite itself was usually taken over by dads with their children relegated to spectators for safety reasons, of course. If only mum and dad knew what we'd been up to in the previous few weeks. Krakenite was banned in 1986, long after we had had our fun. We children had the time of our lives. Why did they ban it? Every year, unfortunately, there was individuals who lost fingers, sustained severe eye injuries. Tragically, there was even fatalities. Dogs and horses in particular had a terrible time at that time of year with the constant sudden explosions and and the flashes of light. 
Quackenite will never return as it was in the 60s. There have been some efforts to restore even a modified version of it, but these have met with a very negative response. But as an adult, there have been the occasional time where I've had the whiff of that gunpowder smell from something or other. Brings it all back instantly. The noise and the colour, and yeah, the danger. The best night of the year. Better than Christmas. Better than Easter. Better than even your birthday. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you liked it, please follow us and subscribe. Give me a good review. And please spread the word by telling just one other person who might enjoy it. And you can contact me in the links which should be in the show notes. I'd love to hear from you. I'll see you next week. Talk soon. <laughs>